New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. Just when you thought this tournament couldn't have any more shocks, the German campaign ends up on the rocks. Who knew German soccer was in such bad health? But it's back to the drawing board for the National Elf. When Morocco faced Germany, six goals went past their defence, and now they progressed at the Germans' expense. It's a historic day for the Arabic nation, who are joined by Colombia in round of 16 elation. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's also in round of 16 elation for his Morocco <laughs> loving tendencies. Taylor Rocco, hello. Hello, I am indeed now at full time. I still wasn't sure what had happened in the Germany game. And I did enjoy all the Moroccan players celebrating and their coaches frantically saying, calm down, calm down. We don't know what's <laughs> happened yet. Then we get the conclusion of the Germany game. Then we get the celebrations from Morocco. Morocco through, Colombia through, Germany not through, not what I was expecting from this group. Definitely not. Definitely not, but we'll expand on that very shortly, Tater. Joining us to do so, uh, we have Arizona's Mr. Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hashtag save the national elf. That's all I have to say. It needs saving now more than it has ever needed saving. I uh, I woke up to these results and was shocked and am very excited to talk about what went wrong for Germany and what went right for the other teams advancing out of that group. Let's get into it right after we've introduced Mr. Graham Ruthven. Hello, Graham. How are you, sir? Hello, Ryan Bailey. I am fine. Still in a state of shock after seeing Germany go out of back-to-back World Cups at the group stage. That doesn't. That just doesn't happen. What they need mm-hmm. is they need Tom Brady to buy them, and everything will be fine. That will be fine. By the way, yeah, that's a good news story. By the way, Tom Brady has been announced today as a minority owner of Birmingham City in the Championship. I guess in case the whole NFC investments doesn't work out, he's gone for a, a second tier <laughs> club who've had severe financial issues in the past. Um, the fun fact about that, in fact, Graham, is that the new ownership group are called Knighthead Capital Management. Uh, the subsidiary that owns. Birmingham City is called Shelby Companies Limited. That mean anything for you? I saw your tweet, Ryan. I haven't watched the show that I think you're referencing. Yep. Is that oh. from something to do with Birmingham the Peaky Blinders? Is it's that from the, reference the there? Peaky Blinders, Graham? Right. Okay, there you go. sorry, yeah. I haven't watched that show. They're going to do a Wrexham, aren't they? This is what this is going to be. The way that that video is filmed and edited, and Tom Brady speaking down the camera. I quite like the Wrexham story, but if there's twenty Wrexhams in the English lower leagues, I'm not sure that I will uh, tolerate it to the same extent. Wrexham's Wrexham's everywhere. Uh, I went to Birmingham to see a game last year and one of their stands couldn't open because it had like construction subsidence issues like, and they hadn't fixed it for a long time. So maybe had one, side def- one, one stand deflated, Ryan. Is that what had happened to that stand? 
I think they were all Tom Brady, American football reference. Oh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> you didn't expect that from me, did I you? I was very confused. But I was like, is someone playing in an inflatable stadium? I missed that. I, I wish I had not, but it seems like I did. That was good. No gates will be <laughs> deflated in Birmingham here on after. Very good. Why don't we talk about the women's game? That's what we came here to do. Let's start off with South Korea 1, Germany 1. As we have noted, Germany, the group favourites very much, are out. A huge so- uh, shock here. Uh, Cho Soi-hyun, formerly of Chelsea, giving Korea the lead in this one. Alex Pop equalising with a header. The ultimate ladies, Tejuk Njia, keeping the Germans out of the knockouts here. Um, Taylor, my favourite uh, comment I saw on German Twitter, Einfach nur peinlich, which means this is just embarrassing. Hmm. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how embarrassing it is, because I think in this game, it was Germany looking good at times. I, every time I thought they were getting predictable, because I watched this game after the Colombia-Morocco game, so knowing the score, I was ready for the narrative to be, oh, Germany just played in crosses for Alex Pop and hoped something would happen. They did plenty of that, but they also had good combinations, good sort of line-breaking passes, uh, and I think it just never fully came off. Sue Holden, the postgame, said... Something along the lines of they could play 200 minutes and they never would have scored in this game. I think he may have forgotten that they did score in this game. But I take his point still that it felt like they had opportunities. It just felt like they couldn't fully capitalize, which is maybe the story of Germany over these last two games. Yeah, it's similar in my mind to what we said about Brazil, where Mm -hmm. this World Cup is just brutal. You only have three matches. The margins can be very, very narrow, and you can play a couple of good games and then one mediocre game and go out of this tournament. And I think there is a difference between... At this tournament, we have seen some superpowers drop out in the group stage, Canada being one of them. Canada, I think, didn't deserve to go through to the round of 16, but there will be worse teams in the round of 16 than Germany. But that's just the way that knockout tournaments are. I think it's worth recapping, now that the group stage is over, what has actually unfolded and how how crazy this World Cup has been so far, not just in, in, in this group, but across the tournament. So Germany, the number three ranked team in the world in last year's Euros final finalists, they're out. Canada, the number seven team in the world and the reigning Olympic champions, they're out. Brazil, the number eight team in the world and the Copa America champions are out. Italy, the number 14 team in the world are out. Then the teams that are through, Jamaica, the world number 43, who didn't have even have a team six years ago and had to, had to crowdfund their way to this tournament, they're through. Nigeria, world number 45, who are in open conflict with their own federation are through. South Africa, world number 56 are through. Morocco, world number 76 are through. And on top of that, we've had the US, Spain and Norway all finish second in their groups. So we had a discussion after the first batch of games about whether the competition has been stronger at this tournament. I don't think there's any doubt now that that has been the case. The gap has been closed and the traditional superpowers can't take anything for granted anymore. Yep, Graham, retweet or re retend all of that. Re-ten. I'm continuing that. <laughs> retend, retend that. Uh, I will say, I, I hope that Graham reading through those upsets and, and some of the craziness and the numbers that go with them courtesy of FIFA makes us all have sort of a bone-chilling moment before we ever try to use the FIFA rankings in a serious way ever again. Um, Because I think if anybody leaves this tournament thinking that Italy are the 14th best team in the world, it might be time to touch grass a little bit. And the same goes for Canada at seven and and maybe even Brazil at eight. But all that aside, Graham, your point is it's totally right. And Ryan, I think your point, reading through that, that comment in German about this being embarrassing for this particular game and this particular German team, yes, They're a little unfortunate in many ways to be going out after having more talent than anybody else in their group. I get that idea. They started this tournament strong, beating Morocco handily. 
But man, I, I can't get over how poor their defending was inside the first 10 minutes, right? I, I cannot get past some of the issues that they had in the early stages of this game. Just a couple of minutes in, there's a moment when Germany are, are back defending. The ball comes into the box. It's headed away, but not fully cleared by Germany. And no no German player pounces on it. They're, they're sort of like half-hearted movements to the ball. South Korea, they pounce on it. And Casey Fair makes a really good run. That 16-year-old uh, Casey Fair makes a great run into the box, a good slip to run. The ball comes in. She shoots and hits the post. Like three minutes in, Germany have been given this wake-up call, but they don't actually wake up, right? It, then It's a few minutes later after that in the sixth minute. When Cho scores, it's South Korea in a rare spell of possession in the attacking half. They didn't have much of the ball. They didn't pass the ball with much accuracy. Thank you for that, because I got my VSP in this game. They didn't pass the ball much in this game, but in this sequence, they're in the attacking half. South Korea have the ball. They play simple pass in behind the back line. Cho gets on Cho gets on the ball, jogs in and scores. Like it is, it is an incredibly easy goal. And the reason this comes about is because of Germany's offside line. Or, or really, I guess it's like a series <laughs> of lines between defenders because it's not one straight line. It's Katrine Julia Hendrick playing as the right-sided center back in this game. She's a good two yards deeper. Well, let's go 1.5 in the spirit of 34 yards from yesterday. Maybe she's a yard and a half deeper <laughs> a rough stay on brand than the rest of the back line. Like She is not aware at all of where the rest of the defenders are. And, and, and this, in some ways, has been a theme for Germany. Not ragged offside lines or multiple offside lines at a time, but defensive turmoil, right? Coming into this World Cup, I mentioned in the preview when I previewed this German team that they had some injuries along the defensive line. And right now, their three games, three three and out for Germany at this World Cup, came with three different starting center back pairings. I, I do think that is an issue. They're also missing both of the fullbacks that started for them throughout the Euros in their most important games. So there are challenges here and some things that are outside of Germany's control, but still as two professional soccer players, and by the way, this, this Hegering and Henrik center back pairing in this game started together at the Euros in big games. So it's not like they never played together before, but this is this was the big problem. This was the embarrassment for Germany, not necessarily that they couldn't claw their way back in, although I think they could have done more in the attack, but it was the fact that they didn't come out ready, or at least they were way, way too mistake prone inside the opening yeah. 10 minutes. It felt to me, uh, when we stopped recording yesterday, we were talking about these games uh, and I was saying, I just don't see like South Korea doing anything against Germany. So Germany will win. And then it kind of doesn't matter what happens in the Morocco Columbia game. Uh, I was very wrong, but I, it also feels a little bit like Germany sort of approached this game with a Korea are beaten. We just got to play our game and we'll get through, which is, I, I guess, like sort of lazy to rely on what must have happened or what the emotions must have been. But Joe, to your point, they just sort of look slack, especially in their defending. Even on that goal, it's an incredible ball that I think splits two different sets of Germans. It takes out six players all at once. But if you watch, it's just players passing off uh, uh, Cho, who goes on and scores, and no one picking her up, no one really staying with her. And then the back line you mentioned, I did really enjoy Hendrick sort of realizing she had kept them on side and jumping forward two yards and then putting <laughs> the hand up in the air like, me too, guys, I was in line the whole time, don't worry about it. But there was just a slackness to the way Germany approached this game that once once you sort of do wake up or once they relatively wake up, they're already one nail down and, and it feels like they're then having to get back into it while figuring out their problems at the same time. And I, I think that goes a long way towards explaining why they were disjointed in that first half at least yeah in that first half it was germany basically going wait they have a game plan right they allowed exactly to do that in, this, yeah. in this match and it was very it was clear from very early on in this match that a different korea had turned up 
for this one. They were they were very disciplined in their shape. They were restricting Germany to long balls and shots from distances. Um, they were staying in that defensive shape, but also going player for player whenever the ball was played wide, which is obviously where Germany are, are strongest and where they funnel so much of their attacking play. And I'm pretty sure Colin Bell, who's the Korea manager who's borrowed Jack Grealish's hair for this tournament, I'm pretty sure he's looked at how Colombia essentially roughed up Germany in their match and Korea did something similar and I certainly hadn't seen that side of their game at this tournament they were physical in the tackle they were sending two or three players to ambush German players whenever there was a slack touch or or lack of a passing option and then Korea were profiting from turnovers and creating counter-attacks from those moments and and their passing was sharper there was some good combination play so it was it was um Poor from Germany in a lot of moments, particularly in that first half, but also Korea upped their game and asked some questions of Germany that they just didn't have any answers for. Definitely so, Graham. Agree with most of that. Uh, it, it, it was interesting. This was very, to be cliched, Graham, it was un-Germanic in many ways. The nervousness, the defensive disorganisation that we've spoken about, even the way they didn't sort of play the whip that we thought they might do. Yeah. They weren't banging in the crosses we thought they would. Maybe we credit Korea with that, by the way, because of the, the shape they set up with uh, having previewed this side. I was expecting like a back three or back five kind of situation here. We weren't what looked like a 4-1-4-1 here, which was restricting that width, I think, quite quite well. And uh, just another thing, Colin Bell is too old for that haircut. Go on, Graham. <laughs> he is a little bit. <laughs> I agree there. Um, yeah, I share your confusion, Ryan. And it was a confusion that um, Jonas Ivedal, Ivedal, excuse me, who is the Arsenal head coach and was on the BBC broadcast for this game. I, I He's in kind of the Emma Hayes category for me of pundit. He's very good at breaking down a game, as you might expect for an elite level manager. But he was very confused at how... When Germany funneled possession into the wide areas in the second half, so I agree that Korea in the first half did a good job of stopping Germany getting into those wide areas, but it felt like after the equaliser, the dynamic kind of shifted a little bit and Germany were having more joy in the wide areas. It's how they score the equaliser. Pop hits the bar from a similar opportunity. Then she then has a header straight at the keeper. And it was a good source of goal threat, just as it was in the Morocco game, when in that match, Germany basically realised they're allowing us to cross the ball as often as we want. We're just going to keep doing this for 90 minutes. They didn't do that in this game. And Germany seemed determined to force play through the middle more often than made sense. And I thought Lohmann made a difference when she came on. She gave Germany a bit of creativity and energy. But I just thought the the approach in general was flawed. And there's already, I've gone on to um, uh, Deutsche Welle, which is a, an English language, or they have an English language site. It's a, They've got a good sports page um, that covers German football. And I found an article, they already have a lot of, reaction to this match and Germany going out of this tournament and a lot of that debate is focusing on how Germany have become a one-dimensional team and how they lack creativity and basically the plan is to find Pop's head and in a broad sense I don't disagree with that but I just think in this specific in this particular match if they had done that as frequently as they did in the Morocco match I think they probably find that second goal and maybe the ceiling on this team isn't as high as it should be maybe they, they get repelled in, in the knockout rounds doing that but in this particular match it felt like a, it, they didn't really recognize where the opportunity was for them. Just a quick update on Alexandra Pop and the question that everybody wants to know related to Ryan Bailey. Five shots, everybody. So, Taylor, yes. I'd like to congratulate you on successfully <laughs> bullying outcome. Ryan out of his VSP point. That is a big Let's win go. for the rest of us in the Golden Shoey table. Uh, I think that's well done on your part, Ryan. My condolences, sort, sort of. I, I, Graham, I, I think I largely agree with you. Pop maybe didn't get quite as involved in this game as as Germany would have liked or maybe as she should have been. I 
I think there were other attacking avenues that also showed promise for Germany. But in general, I thought they didn't take advantage of the spaces that South Korea gave them, right? We talked about them throwing a couple of different defenders at German players when they were on the ball. It, at times, it kind of looked like you go through and watch highlights from the 80s of total football and, and, and do these different moments earlier on in different decades. And players are like running around the field with their heads cut off, like, like chickens with their heads cut off. It kind of felt like that at times for me with South Korea. There was a method to the madness, but the madness did create attacking lanes for Germany. Like th those spaces were there. They didn't do as good of a job as finding, uh, of finding them as I think they could have. And, and probably likewise, didn't do as good of a job as targeting Pop, who was going to win seemingly every single aerial duel in the box. And that's how she scores her goal in the 42nd minute. And that's how she gets a couple of other chances. But I think that pipeline just in general for yeah. Germany all the way across the board could have been stronger into the box. There was definitely a spirit of chaos in this match, which I think was summed up when Korea had a free kick on the edge of the box late on and Park absolutely smashes a shot straight into the face <laughs> yeah. of one of her own teammates. <laughs> so it was... That must it have was really hurt, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I was surprised she like, got up again. Is that like 5D chess, where if you smash the ball into your own teammate, they go down, go down concussion protocol, game <laughs> has to stop for a few minutes while Extra everyone checks sub. it out? Yeah, exactly. You can slow it down, you get a breather. I think it's just crafty uh, 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 gameplay by Korea. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was ragged from both teams, even though both teams did some things well, as I say. It was chaotic at times. Indeed. Um, Taylor, we can talk later about my workplace harassment suit, which I'm filing against you <laughs> for the BSP. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about it later. But we should give some credit <laughs> to Korea. Uh, as, as Joe mentioned, 16-year-old Casey Fair, New Jersey's very own, getting her first international start in here. Colin Bell, the aforementioned Jack Grealish head coach, saying this was a magnificent performance, one of the best the girls have produced since I've been in charge. I'm so proud of them and the courage they showed. Germany are always dangerous when pop equalised. I think everyone would have thought we'd be... We'd crumbled in the second half, but we dug even deeper. And full credit to them, Taylor. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy for Colin Bell, who who had like angry stepdad vibes this whole tournament right <laughs> up until this game. He looked very, very angry, very displeased in the first two games, publicly talking about their lack of effort, their lack of preparation, or like how they hadn't executed the game plan and what they had prepared for. Uh, so for them to get this result, I, I guess this is the angry stepdad finally finally being treated as an actual dad or something like that. Uh, but yes, it was, it was nice for him. And I think it was really nice for Korea, for Casey Fair, who has some moments where I was reminded she's a 16-year-old. Like, I think in the build-up to Germany's goal, she's more or less thrown off the ball pretty easily, and then Germany go the other way and score. But... Uh, around that moment, she has plenty of moments where she takes on two and three German players at once and sort of holds it in the corner or tries to create on her own. And though she has moments, as I said, where the physicality reminded me she's 16, she had plenty of other moments that reminded me that she is a very, very talented player who is capable of very big things. Excellent stuff. Joe, once again, congratulations on getting your VSP on this game. Must be nice. Uh, anything more on this one? <laughs> did, before get, did I see that Joe got three predictions overnight? How did, is that because he got like overall ones for the tournament? I'm gonna no, assume. it's because my check to Kenny went through. That's, there it that's, is. That's, <laughs> that's really what it was. Uh, I, I'm just still shocked this, that this happened. To be honest, Germany. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a little bit at a loss for words. When I woke up and saw these scores, I didn't expect this at all, and I don't really know that Germany will come back in and have to go through a full reboot to retool. They are just kind of the victim of World Cups being brutal, as Graham dictated earlier. And for me, as a non-German fan, it is, it's, it's good TV, that's for <laughs> yeah. sure. A not-German fan. From my 
point of view, it's, it's what they deserve for having a right back wearing the number nine shirt in this game. That is just pure violence. So yeah, that's yeah, that what one. you get. Uh, Joe, you lose points for not calling it uh, Das Reboot, by the way. But uh, we I, can... I thought about it, Ryan, but yeah. I decided against it. Yeah. Well done, though. Either way, uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Morocco's triumph and much more. Back shortly. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one... It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Broker dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to Women's World Cup Daily. Morocco won, Colombia nil. Morocco into the round of 16 on their debut in this tournament, the only one of eight debutants to do so. Anissa Lamari slamming home the winner in this one. Colombia also threw as group winners despite the loss here. Taylor, the investment in women's soccer in Morocco has paid off. Morocco is having quite a time this year, isn't it? That they are. That they are. And now they get France uh, in the knockout round. So we get uh, our third uh, colonies versus colonizers uh, derby in the knockout round. We get England, Nigeria, Netherlands, South Africa and France, Morocco. I'm going to guess we're going to have some spicy fixtures in there. Some fi- some uh, spicy clashes. Uh, this was not a good game. Uh, there's your headline. Uh, watching it, it was very clear that Morocco were backs against the wall from the jump. Uh, it was very clear to me that Colombia were... I would say not as electric as they've been in their opening two games. A lot of speculation in the commentary that maybe they had run out of gas a little bit after their uh, like their very strong start to this one. I don't know how far I would go with that one. I think some of their game plan did not work, especially in the second half where it felt like Myra Ramirez out wide, uh, getting crosses in, finding herself in space, but she seems like the one I would want on the end of crosses and on uh, and the one I would want mixing it up in the box. She was a large reason why I thought Columbia might end up getting a penalty in this game, uh, but she does not, nor do they. Uh, it was instead Morocco who did. Uh, it felt like in the first half, Columbia also really just sort of get the ball to Linda Caicedo and then we'll see what she can do. We'll let her cook. And I feel like Morocco were, were sort of content for that to be their strategy. So much of the attack came down. Uh, Colombia's left and Morocco's right and the same for Morocco attacking so uh, 
it was nice, I guess, at least from a camera angle that we got to see so much of the game in that first half. But for Colombia, the game plan, it felt like not really coming together. Uh, but for Morocco, the way they were able to sort of hold on and if anything, I felt like grow into this game a little bit more. They still make some some questionable decisions at the end. There's the one where they have the corner that they take and give right back to Colombia and their their coach was losing his mind. Uh, but in the end, they get the win uh, courtesy of that first half penalty and they get to the knockout round, which is certainly more than they expected for the fifth time of this tournament. I will say this was a team that their goal was to qualify for the Africa Cup of Nations for the first time. And now they've made it to the knockout round as the lowest seeded team to ever do so. Not bad, Morocco. Not bad at all. Yeah, I thought they did a good job in this match of matching Colombia for their physicality because yeah. obviously that is a big part of Colombia's game. They make every match that they play rough and ready. And Morocco, we hadn't really seen that from them in this in this tournament, but it didn't feel like they, they shied away. They were quickly into tackles. Um, the first half, I thought, was a relatively open affair and both teams did create opportunities. I thought uh, Dryde's, Dryde, is that how you say that? Uh, movement mm-hmm. was doing a lot to, to create some good angles for Morocco and the ball on the right side in particular was was um, fruitful in possession between uh, Hajj and, and, and Diki over there, although two good chances came from crosses on the left side, including the incident that leads to the Morocco penalty, which by the way, it's a clumsy push from Arias. I don't think there can be any mm. complaints about that one and then I, I agree Taylor the second half was was largely about Colombia a bit of a backs of the wall job from them I think I disagree slightly on Ramirez's effectiveness on the right side I, I still thought she was doing a lot of driving forward from there as your point maybe the execution was lacking in some yeah. in some key moments yeah fair enough there, there were some times when she might not have lashed the ball at the near post which she did three or four yeah. times it felt like we were getting to the point where like the quarterback throws it up in the air to himself and then runs to the other end of the field to catch it like that's what they needed in this one I thought my, my Ramirez was good in what she was doing it just felt like the end of the sequence was she crosses to where she should be, but instead yeah, it's yeah. either somebody else or nobody. I don't think they, they they did a good job of making the most of Linda Caicedo in this match. It didn't feel like they, they did a lot to get her into this game. There were a couple good moments, um, but as I said, not getting her into good areas. And if the plan was to use Ramirez on the right side to draw Morocco over and create space for then a quick switch out to Caicedo, the second part of that plan yeah. never happened. Yeah, I'm all I'm all for sort of dissecting tactical choices and decisions. My thought on the Myra Ramirez move out to the right wing is just that nothing that Colombia had tried to that point was working. And, and so the thought is, let's let's try to isolate Myra Ramirez, who is a genuine star and has been for me one of the, the best parts of this tournament. Getting to watch her consistently has been awesome, even in this game that, that wasn't totally awesome, even even with narratives that come out that are awesome. Right. Lots of juxtaposition here. But. The idea with Ramirez, I think, is we couldn't really find her enough through the middle. Let's put her out wide where there's going to be a little bit uh, less pressure on the ball from Morocco. She'll get a few extra touches in those spaces. She can drive at a defender, beat them, and try to create something on her own. Taylor, I love your quarterback analogy, though, because it did kind of feel like it was Myra Ramirez or bust at times. And Graham, your point about Caicedo not being meaningfully involved, at least as often as you would like, is, is totally accurate based on what I saw, right? She had more touches in this game than she did in their last match for Colombia. She had 50 touches in this game, 45 in the last game. But the difference is, in this match, Morocco were, were compact for the most part. I, I think they were defending deep in this 4-4-2 block for the vast majority of this game. They forced Colombia to have the ball, right? And so when Caicedo is getting on the ball, and she did, right? She did 50 times in this game. It wasn't like there was a bunch of green grass for her to go and drive forward. And that is, looking forward for Colombia, 
a potential issue for them because on paper, you think getting Jamaica in the round of 16 is a pretty favorable draw for Colombia and the same for Jamaica, right? Two teams that we didn't really expect to be here, but we've seen with Colombia that they can struggle against a team that forces them to be the protagonist, right? That forces them to dictate the game. It's not what Colombia want to do. Myra Rodriguez wants, excuse me, Myra wants to, to really thrive. Ramirez wants to thrive in those moments where the opposition is a little bit stretched and she can use her mixture of technical ability and speed and strength to punish you in those moments. And Caicedo certainly wants to attack a stretch defense. Not that they can't impact the game in other ways, but Colombia as a whole don't have 11 players that can go out there and break down a block. And unfortunately for them, that's exactly what they're going to get against Jamaica. Uh, Taylor, this one was quite a physical affair. Who, who conquered Kath the most out of the teams today and why was it Korea? Oh, uh, you think it was Korea? I feel like it, I feel like Morocco did some pretty good okay. caffing. Uh, <laughs> there, there were a lot of moments when they needed really dramatic treatment uh, and then were OK moments later. Uh, Khadija Aramichi, uh, the goalkeeper, especially had a few moments when, when she would do the catch the ball and then fall over and then take her time getting back up. Uh, she had a few where it would roll to her and she would sort of wait the way like a an NFL team another NFL analogy the way they'll do on the punt when the ball starts bouncing back and everybody surrounds it and hopes that it goes further back she was doing that with balls until eventually pressured and then she would pick it up my favorite though was late in the game when she gets a apparent shoulder injury and then gets treatment for I think it was like three minutes in total and then at one point you can see the camera and and the trainer says something to her very seriously which to me was like are you okay can you continue and she's like oh yeah I'm, I'm fine it, I don't feel anything and like gets right back up and is totally good to go so I felt like Morocco did a really nice job of just totally slowing this game down when they needed to uh, sapping it of a lot of the kind of energy and then also just I think getting Colombia to sort of at times play the game Morocco were playing. It was a lot of sort of long direct balls uh, watching this at an accelerated speed. It was a lot of head tennis on occasion. It was a header and then a header and then a header. Uh, it felt like they were both just trying to like head the ball over midfield. And so I think in that way, Morocco were able to control the tempo and the style of the game. And then they handled the physicality and then they they saw it out really well. And that was also sort of part of what they did for the goal. They uh, earned the penalty, and I think it is definitely a penalty. Credit to the official for being in the exact right spot to see that from one angle, it just looks like there's a little bit of contact. And then you see from the official's angle, and you can see the arm extension. So I think it's correctly given as a penalty. But the thing that I was amazed by, the shot is saved. It spills to Uzrawi, who then I think is going for maybe a shot, maybe it's a pass. Either way, she sort of scuffs it to the middle, and it's turned into the goal. The replay made it look like, oh, she definitely in, uh, came into the box too early. And so there's infringement. It's going to be either retaken or maybe given the other way, I think is how it works. Uh, but to watch it again and to see the freeze frame, she is timing that run perfectly to get in front of the Columbia defenders, but not be in the box. But then she's at a full sprint when that shot is saved. And it's why she's there first. And that was sort of par for the course for her on the day. I think she was really effective for Morocco in alleviating pressure at times on the dribble, uh, but also earning corners, earning free kicks. Uh, I think she had the most successful dribbles of any player on the pitch, though I think she attempted 12 and only came away with five successful ones. So not always particularly successful, but she was a pretty dynamic player for Morocco and just wanted to spotlight her role in the goal as well. Yeah, are we 100% sure that there wasn't a, a spot of Hihong 82 in the last 10 minutes of this match where yeah. both teams know what's happening in the other game and yeah. kind of just there's an unwritten, unspoken pact 
just maybe to see this mm-hmm. game out and this result suits everyone. Are we 100% sure that wasn't the case? Yeah, in the same way that I felt like Germany had that with Korea. Like, you guys know you're beaten, right? You'll just let us score three or four and we'll all get out of here without injury. It felt like this game in those final 10 minutes was everybody just calm down. <laughs> we all we all know what this needs to be. Nobody needs to be a hero. Uh, and nobody was. <laughs> so it ends up with, uh, with happy moments for Morocco and then very happy moments after they officially get word that they have made it to the next round. Very happy moments indeed. It was fun, Taylor, as you mentioned at the top, watching the players crowd around, oh, I yeah. presume a transistor radio, waiting for the results <laughs> think, to come through. I think through. it was a cell phone, which made yeah. it even better. Uh, yeah. I'm not, not going to lie. I, like, I have obviously been excited for Morocco. I did not think that they would pull this off. It got a little dusty watching the celebrations and how much it meant to these players, how much it meant to their manager, who walks away from uh, winning the Champions League twice uh, to take over the Morocco gig and has been instrumental in, in what this team has been able to accomplish in the recruitment of dual nationals who are now so heavily involved in this team uh it it was a pretty amazing moment it was one of my favorite moments of the tournament so far seeing the reaction at full time from morocco yeah that was fantastic morocco as you mentioned taylor earning a round of 16 game against france the same matchup you will note as as Mm -hmm. the uh world cup semi-final for the men's tournament a few months back uh obviously the um, in the men's tournament, Morocco were the first African side to reach the semi-final. Another landmark here for Morocco. So congratulations to them once again. And Colombia, of course, uh, getting their matchup against Jamaica in the knockouts. The final Group G standings with Colombia and Morocco on six. Germany on four. Korea on a solitary point. And today, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to preview some of the round of 16 games. Not just some of them, all of them. And we're going to do some VSP work as well. Back shortly. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player. And Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player and Kosi Tafari never disappoints. Will Trap over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high-quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, All of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. 
Just kidding. Very much just kidding. Because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show. And I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the, 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 uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic. And all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy. And they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to Women's World Cup Daily. So, Joe, group stage done. Check in the books. Good stuff. Only uh, only six goalless games from 48 for my counting, which isn't too bad. Decent amount of goal return yeah. in this tournament. And as Graham neatly summarised in the first part, a lot of big dogs have gone home. Germany, Brazil and I suppose Canada as well have gone home as well. Quite uh, an entertaining round of games, was it not? Absolutely. I am not to immediately take us to a down note. I'm excited for scoreless extra time periods across eight of the next <laughs> yep. games that we've got. Um, but no, it, it has been an awesome tournament so far. Like the the general advertisement for this game, for the women's game, for the sport as a whole has been fantastic. I have no regrets that this competition was expanded to 32 teams. That's been awesome. And the format as well works so much better for a knockout tournament. I can't imagine ever trying to change away from 32 two teams at a World Cup. It's been really, really, really good. And so on the whole, I have like no criticism. I am not necessarily looking forward to the the extra time periods that I already mentioned. But I mean, if, if that's the sacrifice, we the sacrifice that we all make with air quotes there <laughs> for the group stage we just got, I will make that exchange 10 times out of 10. Poor us. Joe, can we run through these really, really, really quickly? Like we're obviously going to go through them in more detail, but if I'm going to give you the game, you okay. tell me if this is going yes, uh, scoreless into extra. We won't go fully penalties, but we'll just say, is it going goalless into extra time? Well, wait, okay, sorry, sorry. Go is, ahead. It, is it goalless into extra time or a goalless extra time period after a tied 90 minutes? Which would you prefer? Well, I think there will be goals in these games, but I think we will also get a lot of okay. extra time that is boring. All right. All right. Are we getting a goalless extra time uh, in Switzerland, Spain? No, no. That's okay. my prediction. Uh, Netherlands, South Africa. No. Okay. Japan, Norway. No, good start, good start. Okay, now we might be turning with Sweden, United States. Oh Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> no doubt yeah. about it. Australia, Denmark. Yep, yep, yeah. that one all the way. France, Morocco? Uh, no, but I'm tempted. All right. England, Nigeria? I'll say no on that one as well. All right, Colombia, Jamaica? Uh, yes. 100%, yeah. Okay, so, so that's we've actually got less than I thought. That's it, that's three out of eight is not, yeah. is not, now it's going to be like zero or eight out of eight. We'll see what that actually <laughs> looks like. But That's an hour and a half of non-soccer though, Joe, like when you count it up. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. It's true. It, it could be a good or a bad upcoming week for my agenda that extra time should go away. There's always like three people, you know, at different times that tweet at me after a game goes to extra time. And it's actually a fun extra time period that go see, see. But the reality, it's like one out of a hundred of those games is actually good. Soccer, if you're listening, control. Johnny, if you're listening, just cut extra time. And then I, your sport is like perfect. Just, just do it. It's great. See, Joe, I'm with you, but I think we know Infantino wants to experiment. He wants to add more teams, expand who's competing in what competition. And I think if you truly want to experiment, uh, if Sweden USA goes to extra time, it should just be a akin to keeper wars. It should just be corner wars, and you like get to take a corner, <laughs> then defend a corner back and forth until somebody scores and somebody doesn't, and then that's who advances. Let's just I go mean, full set pieces. It, it sounds like in in college football, this is perfect for for yes. Graham. Maybe maybe good for Ryan. I know Ryan's been to a few South Carolina yes. games before. Forget your tennis. We're talking <laughs> football. It's like I don't know if this still happens. I don't watch as much college football as I used to, but at a certain point, they just start doing like dueling two point conversions. Like they just keep going yes. back and forth from like five yeah. or ten yards out, and as soon as you don't score. And, and the other team does score, you're just screwed and you lose. That's what I want, but for set pieces. Yep, yep. I'm in. I'm into it. How, I'm into it. How about the MLS ski ball challenge thing to decide matches? Yes. Yeah, I enjoyed that. That's the one, Graham. Joe, for the record, aren't we all on team eliminate extra time? I know I definitely am staunchly. I think so. I think so. I, I guess I didn't. Re- I think I've expressed it stronger than anyone else or maybe i just like am beating the dead horse more than anybody else i don't know what that looks like but i know not everybody in the world is on board and i've made it my mission to change that very well very well we've all got to have a mission in life right joe and that is yours so very well uh, played to you uh let's do a run through real quick of the round of 16 games a couple of notes on each one we'll start with switzerland's match with spain taylor how are you mm-hmm. seeing that one play out uh, a lot of Spain on the ball and a lot of Switzerland <laughs> defending. I think the Swiss will probably look at what Japan did and try to emulate that more or less. I don't think they'll go with the back three, but I think they will sit deep uh, with maybe two lines of four and a four, five, one uh, and try to play through uh, the target striker with uh, and then ca- kind of basically just hold on and maybe play for extra time. I could see that one. Uh, maybe going to extra time, but more likely to me is that Spain will eventually be able to either pass their way through or sort of catch uh, Switzerland in moments of transition and punish them accordingly. I do think Spain will get through this, but I think it will be closer than I would have expected it to be ahead of time. Yeah, I think that's the way I would go as well, Taylor. One of those these two teams is going to achieve a new personal best um, at Women's World Cup because neither have made it past the last 16, which maybe isn't too surprising for Switzerland, but was surprising when I read that about Spain, given the quality that they have. Um, from the Spanish side of things, I personally want to see Esther Gonzalez back in the starting lineup. She started the opening game, but then Jennifer Hermoso has, has come back into the team. She started as the number nine against, against Japan. And while she is obviously an excellent player, I think it has contributed to how Spain lacked a bit of variety. In that match, crosses are a big part of, of, of their game plan. Um, and when Gonzalez doesn't play, it feels like they don't have anyone who can make the most of them. And I accept with Alexia Puteas fit again, it's difficult to fit everyone into that team. But I did like the 4-2-3-1 from the first game with Hermoso in behind Gonzalez and Bonmati a little bit deeper as part of the, of the midfield too. And then you can have uh, Parallejo as, as one of the wingers and maybe Puteas on the other side in a bit of a free role. So... I want to see Esther Gonzalez back in the team. I was banging this drum at the Euros. I'm still banging the drum. I think Spain are better with her as a number nine. This is a strange game. This is a strange game for me that 
I think I would have expected this matchup just going the other way. I would have expected Spain topping their group, Switzerland finishing second, uh, and then they play each other. So I feel like we could have predicted this one, but we probably would have predicted it the other way around uh, with Switzerland not being the uh, the group finisher. The group yeah, winner, rather. Yeah. I think that's true. And we have not to blame, but we have Japan's scoring on every single touch that they take in the first half <laughs> in that last game to, to thank, I guess, for this, yeah. the way these groups panned out. I, I My prediction for this game is uh, this doesn't count as a VSP, by the way, but I'm just tossing it out. Spain going to win. That's the first part. Uh-huh. And Switzerland not going to score on every shot they take inside the first half. So <laughs> that, I, I think I think it's still gone under the radar. How like that crazy a thing a that is, like how crazy a thing that is that Japan scored on three shots in the first half and went up 3-0 against Spain. Like, that three just touches does... Three touches and the obsession It's unbelievable, Graham. Like, that just does not happen. We were shocked about it and talked about it at the time. I've seen and heard other people talking about it as well. It usually gets talked about as efficient and clinical, which it is. Uh, the reality is, it just doesn't happen in soccer. Like, that just does so, not happen. And so Spain really were unfortunate to go down as big as they did in that game. I think it probably has distracted from how good of a team they really are. Not that a good low block can't cause them problems because that's what good low blocks do. But I I think Spain will score some goals in this game against the Swiss and the Swiss may not do that. Joe, so Japan shouldn't have done better? Mm, (laughs) Turning it on his head, see? (laughs) I like this. This is good. My brain hurts. I don't know. Joe, I thought thought you might be tempted to include this in the games which would go to extra time. Team which doesn't have much interest in scoring versus team with no interest in scoring. Well, I think I'm a little higher on Switzerland's, like, attacking ambition than than maybe some other folks. They're not... This totally free-flowing, beautiful attacking team. I know they came up scoreless in both of their last two games. But to be fair, one of those was against New Zealand, who like to sit deep and make your life really, really hard. Spain aren't going to do that. And I think there could be moments when Switzerland are tempted to go forward and try to make something happen. In Bachmann and Cernogorsevich, they have these players, even so in midfield, who I really like. They have a lot of players that can punish you, even if everything hasn't quite been clicking so far. All right, Netherlands versus South Africa. Grant, does this go any way except in the Netherlands' favour? I can't see any other outcome, to be honest. I, I've liked a lot of what I've seen of the of the Netherlands at this tournament, and they do seem to be improving. I like the, the mix of qualities that Van der Donk, uh, Jill Roerd, and Jackie Gronin give you in that midfield unit. A lot of flexibility there. You can shift Van der Donk to either side, or you can shift her further forward. Roerd carries a goal threat, and then you can even drop uh, Leakey Mertens into the midfield as we saw in the US game of course I I think their attack look I don't want to wish an injury on any player but um, Berestein started the first match and I think their attack is a little bit more adaptable and more effective with her not starting for for the Dutch I really do like that attacking unit that they've got Um, I still feel like Spitz is is there to be driven at as the right centre back and and looking at the South Africa side of things um, Magawa and Katlana I'm sure are going to give her something to think about, some trouble in this match because they will be directly pitted against her. But yeah, the Dutch have looked strong at this World Cup, maybe a little bit stronger than I expected. And I expect that they will get through this match. Excellent. Taylor, do you retend that? Uh, I, I do. Uh, what I am then, retain, uh, what I am then wondering is where the Dutch would be for people on there. If we were doing a power rankings of sort after the, the group stage is complete, I think I have them as the third 
most impressive team or the third most like competent, strong team uh, of any team to make it to the knockout round. I have it as Japan, England, the Netherlands, and then France with maybe Spain and then the United States, I think is how I would rank them. It's just a big old blob kind of, isn't it? Like after Japan are, are the only team that I feel like super awesome yep. about at this point. And you think about every other team in the round of 16 and it you can pick out at least a weakness or two or a, a poor performance or at least an underwhelming one for seemingly all of these teams. I do think the Dutch yeah. will win this game. Yeah. I just am, I'm not as bold as Taylor, I guess. I, I still feel like after all of these games, it's really, really hard to figure out who is better than who. Yeah, I think at least in this game, at the very least then, I, I feel like so much of what South Africa are going to try to do is play through uh, Katlana, either have her apply pressure or go direct to her, play in behind to her. But I think so often they're going to be doing that from within 30 yards of their own goal. And the Dutch will probably have a high line, can be got at. But I think when you're trying to play those long balls from deep, it's harder to really capitalize on those potential opportunities versus if they're winning the ball back closer to midfield and then going direct into Katlana. I think then you might put the Dutch under more pressure. You might cause them a bit more uh, discomfort, but I don't think they're going to be able to do that. I feel like the Dutch will come out, be aggressive to start this game. Maybe they got to get a goal or two inside the first 20 minutes, and, and I feel like they will control this game. Uh, famous last words, I'm sure South Africa now advancing, but I would I would <laughs> be very surprised if that were to happen. Excellent stuff. Japan versus Norway, Joe. You're feeling pretty high on Japan. I am. I've loved this Japan team at the World Cup so far. The flexibility they've shown, the ability to do two things really, really well. The first thing is to control games with the ball. They play out of this 3-4-3 shape that we'll ex I, I'm expecting that we'll see again against Norway. But then against Spain, we saw them be able to sit deep and absorb pressure and, and do a pretty good job defensively against one of the, the most dangerous teams in this tournament and then do just absurd things on the break that they won't be able to do again at that level. But, I mean, they're still quick and aggressive and, and physical and technical. They check all the boxes as a team in this tournament. Norway, a team that I previewed coming into this, that have a ton of attacking talent, have not really been able to get out of their own way in this competition. They're not alone in that fact. That applies to a number of teams, even ones remaining in the last 16. If there is a time for them to show some cohesion and to establish a little bit of strength in midfield and to figure out an actual lineup and have some stability. This is it. I just don't think we have any evidence to really think that that's going to happen. And Japan is maybe the toughest draw you could get at this point in the tournament. The, the only thing that I am still a little bit thrown by, Joe, I'd love to hear where you are, Graham, the same, is uh, for Futoshi Ikeda, the, the Japan manager, this is where I'm really happy I am not him, because I can see it making sense for Japan to try to be very aggressively ball-dominant, keep possession, move the ball, force Norway back, uh, and then like probe for opportunity, and I could see that working against this Norway team because they've been vulnerable and not very cohesive. I could also see that them, uh, Japan sitting deep the way they did against Spain, inviting Norway onto them, sort of waiting for their attacks to break down and then hitting on the break. And I sort of feel like they have to get that right, because if they go like sitting deep, but do invite Norway on and Norway are like in the mood for it on that day, they could very well capitalize. Similarly, if Norway continue to be the Norway they've been and Japan try to be ball dominant, I could also see Norway capitalizing on the break, making it one nil. And now they can sit deep and, and invite Japan and the game works the other way. So I, I absolutely can see Japan getting out of this one. I do still think that it's like of two mindsets, they could have two different approaches. And I really do not know yeah. which one works better. 
So just to jump in here, um, first of all, I think Japan can win this game by doing either of those Agreed. two things, Agreed. given how they have how they have played. Um, I would probably lean towards being ball dominant, given that what we've seen from Norway at this tournament. The team that in the group stage tried to do that against Norway was the in the first match they played against New Zealand, who then weren't able to do that in any other match that they played at this tournament. And so I just think the opportunity is there for Japan just to kind of suffocate Norway and not give them anything. We haven't really seen Norway as an effective counter-attacking unit either. It's not like they're playing... Who's been an effective counter-attack? Well, I guess Japan. Japan. It's not like Japan are playing themselves in this match, right? Um, And so there is more of a risk with inviting Norway onto them and getting to the edge of their box. And all of a sudden, Carolyn Grim Hansen has stuck one in the top corner from 25 yards out. That, to me, feels like more of a risk. But as I say, I feel like Japan could, uh, could play a number of different ways and get the win here. It's a Japan team that's been supremely confident in everything they've done. Even in the, the Spain game, I think there is a a confidence or a belief in their approach that they are then able to execute really effectively. If they were to change it up and be like very defensive against Norway, that does feel a little bit like they are shutting up shop because they perceive Norway to be a better team the way they, I think, did against Spain, or at least a more technical, threatening team. And so in that way, I feel like if they were to go defensive, it's it's yielding control a little bit. So I'm with you, Graham. I think being possessive, possession-oriented, ball-dominant, making Norway uncomfortable early and often is probably the way to go. Sunday morning, Sweden versus USA. Uh, Joe, do we begin the IKEA boycott now or wait? <laughs> I started months ago just in, in preparation for this. And as someone who's recently moved, it's been hard. Um, but I've, I've been trying to pull my weight. <laughs> That's so a bad time for an IKEA you're boycott. You're welcome, wow. everyone. You're welcome. Uh, for me, there are so many different ways you can go with this game, right? And, and we've already talked about some of them. One that I don't think we've talked about a ton is how important Alyssa Nair could be. The the first reason is because Sweden could be the best team the U.S. has played so far. Maybe that will still belong to the Dutch. Again, feel like we're still lacking clarity on some of these teams after the group stage. But Sweden have attacking talent. You think about Aslani and Blaxnias. There are, are, are legit players in this team. They have more talent, certainly, than Portugal or Vietnam when it comes to the attack. So it, it, this could be Alyssa Nair's time to step up. And she has not been... Great, first of all, coming into this tournament in the NWSL. The, uh, the beginning of her season was rough, and she did salvage that a little bit to get back to maybe average or, or even a little bit above average. But she's not really been great in this tournament either. She hasn't had a ton to do, but the one goal that the U.S. have conceded so far comes against the Dutch in that long possession sequence that then ends up in the U.S.'s box. She's hugging her near post and maybe doesn't have the best visibility on that shot, but is exposed completely at the far post, and that's where the shot comes in. And you think maybe if she's even a half step or one step to the right towards the far post for her, the shooter's left, her right. Uh, You think maybe she gets to that shot or at least is closing down more of that angle. That's one issue. And then against Portugal, she's flapping at crosses. And and Taylor, I think you brought this up recently about how much Sweden do like to bring the ball in. When I mentioned some of the stats about this this Swedish team after their, their final group stage game, they, they do cross the ball more than most teams at this tournament. The ball is going to be in Alyssa Nair's area, whether it's on a shot or on a cross. She's not been great. And so that is a real area of concern for me coming into this game. If there's a moment for Alyssa Nair to step up and show that she still should be the U.S.'s number one, even when folks like me are saying, yeah, maybe not, th- like this is the time. There is no other time. It has to be now. All right. Uh, Taylor, thoughts on this game? 
just that I'm nervous. Uh, like, like not. I mean, I would be nervous anyway for a knockout round game, but especially for the way the U.S. has looked so far, and for the fact that Sweden have looked good. We've had questions about the strength of this group that they've come out of, but they have risen to the occasion, literally and figuratively. Uh, I think that they could make this game very uncomfortable for the United States. I think they're less likely to create at least in the midfield imbalances that have caused problems for the United States in the group stage, the way the Dutch and Portugal both did. So I I think it could be uh, a more balanced game than we've seen from the U S through the midfield. But at the same time, I think set pieces uh, and, and and anything in between could be a problem for the United States, but also an opportunity for them. Joe's talked about that plenty. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Uh, And now I'm excited for neither team to take advantage of any set pieces, free kicks or corners otherwise. uh, And maybe this finishes five to four from open play. (laughs) Let's hope so. Unlikely. Yeah, unlikely, but we can only hope. Australia versus Denmark, Graham. Where do your chips fall on this one? So this is uh, an interesting match in that it might not be very interesting at all. <laughs> you said interesting <laughs> in the bad way. Yeah, yeah, definitely in the bad way. Australia and Denmark are two teams to me that feel like last 16 teams, meaning they don't get any further than the last 16. So I guess it's notable that one of them will be getting further um i'd probably err on the side of australia getting through i think um sam Kerr, obviously big headline ahead of this game hasn't featured so far for australia was on the bench for the last game didn't really seem like she was fit to feature at all but even if sam Kerr is back for australia i'd like to see caitlin ford stay on the left side of the attack i thought that was one of the big takeaways from the win over canada was how effective she was on that side the understanding with steph catley was was a big reason that australia got through that game and then I think with Haley Russell on the right side crashing the box with late runs there is a chance that Australia could overwhelm the Danish defence in, in a similar way to how they did against Canada I think Denmark have more to offer um, in possession play and certainly a, in an, as an attacking outfit so I think they will have a period of the match themselves but yeah I, if I had to pick one of these two teams I'd say Australia in the quarterfinals Alright anyone else want to Waiting on that think, Australia going through? I think I would I would lean Denmark, actually. Uh, I think I don't know what will happen with Sam Kerr, having expected her to play that final group stage game. At this point, I don't know what her fitness is, if she can even play, if she can even run. I'm assuming we will see her at some point in this game. So they'll have likely Sam Kerr involved at some point. They'll have the home atmosphere, which is a big difference in that final group game. Uh, but I think Denmark are capable of being a, a good possession dominant team i think they have very good players and it felt in moments against haiti like they had sort of built upon from one game to the next to figure out their their ideal starting 11 their ideal approach how to get perneal harder into better positions how to get her on the ball more often and distributing more often but then they sort of take their foot off the gas for a huge chunk of that Haiti game and let Haiti cause problems and and run at their defense and get openings and opportunities. And and I come away a little bit less confident than I was maybe 30 minutes into uh, Denmark's win uh, over Haiti. But I still think if they are able to control the game, if they're able to just play with a bit more confidence, a bit more swagger than we've seen from them at any point in this tournament, I think Denmark are more than capable of getting past Australia. Whether or not they actually do that remains to be seen, and I think Australia, for their part, I agree with Graham about Caitlin Ford playing wide, especially if Sam Kerr is in there. Uh, the, the balls that, that Ford is capable of playing, but the chances she's also uh, capable of creating on her own, I think could be uh, pretty captivating themselves. So I think this one will be one of those games that's either very fascinating or very boring. 
How about Morocco's chances against France, Joe? How do you rate them? Not great. It's not impossible because we will see a lot of the the less talented teams in this tournament try to defend and, and stay deep. And that's what Morocco did throughout the group stage. It's what they'll do in this game against France. And the idea there is you try to limit the number of shots that the opposition take and increase your chances, right, of, of nicking one on the other side, right? If France only take 10 shots instead of 20, that is a good thing for you as a defensive team, as the less talented team. You might get a few shots on the break and still generally be under pressure for the vast majority of a match, but you've upped your chances by defending deeper and, and constricting that space. That said, I have a really hard time seeing Morocco do much in this game. The game that they really struggled in so far was against Germany. And, and France is the only team that they've played that can rival Germany's level of attacking talent. I think France will control a lot of the ball because Morocco will make them. And I do think they'll find their way through, maybe not with super pretty possession play, but with the individual talent advantages they'll have all over the field. Okay. The, the only thing I would say is that uh, the Germany game, there are massive changes to the Morocco team after that one when they are pretty roundly beaten. Uh, and they have stuck with those changes. And I think it's worked better. You have, I think, three of the four in the back line all playing together at club level, the goalkeeper as well. So there's a, fam a familiarity there. I agree with Joe. I think France should win this and they are capable of winning this 4-0. I think what we saw from this game against Colombia from Morocco if France don't sort of control the game, control the temple, tempo or the temple, uh, <laughs> control possession, control the way it's played. And if they let it become this sort of back and forth, end to end, direct pass, direct pass, head tennis sort of game, that definitely benefits Morocco. And I think if France play Morocco's game, this could go in a very different way than expected. If France play the game that we know they can play, I think France win this comfortably. Yeah. I think Control the Temple Temple is a game that I have on my iPhone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I agree with everything that has been said. The one thing I'll be keeping an eye on from the, uh, French, the French perspective will be how, they, how Renard sets up his attacking midfield because in the first match against Jamaica, there was too much of a disconnect between the front two and the midfield double pivot. And it was much better against Brazil with Grace Gaioro getting forward more. But I think in the last match against Panama, Clara Mateo will have given... Hervenard something to think about she can play as a, a kind of number 10 playmaker she can operate between Gioro and then that front two of, of Les Sommer and, and Gianni so I don't think we'll see Matteo start this match but it wouldn't surprise me if she plays an important role in this in this one Graham is control the temple is that an Assassin's Creed iteration or is that a Prince of Persia like four sort of game? I think it's like a temple run situation like you gotta okay. get yeah. there <laughs> That's instead thinking, of running yeah. out of the temple you're running to it to then control it that's what I think as long as it's not exactly that game sure. where the king is drowning in a room and you have to try and save him, which is advertised to me during every app I use, then uh, I'm, I'm not with familiar that. with this. Game. It sounds no, like I'm talking on my like own here. This is a nightmare you had one time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like on things like Duolingo, there's a, a thing like the king is drowning or the water levels rising, and you have to do like Tetris-style stuff to stop him from drowning. And it's this is definitely an anxiety dream that you had. Maybe so. Maybe this whole <laughs> day is. I'm not and even sure. And then your teeth fall out halfway through playing the game. It's a weird one. It's a strange game. And you're naked, and you're falling through the sky. <laughs> it does explain why I'm in my underwear right Somehow now. Somehow there's that Columbia clown somewhere in the in this whole thing. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know how that happens. But. Oh no. <laughs> Two more games in round of 16 to preview. England taking on Nigeria, of course. Graham, what do we think about this? Another Lauren James platform for excellence. Good. Yep. Should we move on? No? 
Well, that might be what it is. I am really looking forward to seeing what Lauren James can conjure up again. Will she have the freedom of the the free role that she had in the last match and a a central position? On paper, central position. She basically went wherever she want. Or will Serena Wiegmann bolster the midfield and move her on to one of the wings, which we saw in the first two games? It doesn't really matter. She can produce from pretty much anywhere. And I think another big performance from Lauren James and she will be becoming the star of this tournament if she hasn't already. At that level, that's how how well she is uh, playing. But yeah, I'm really interested to see what Serena Wiegmann changes for this match. She went to a back three for the for the match against China with, mm. with wing backs. Obviously, that worked very well. Will it work as well against a team with more of a, a presence in central midfield? Maybe Kira Walsh will be available again. I haven't seen any news on Kira Walsh. That seems unlikely. But um, it'll probably be Katie Zalem again in central midfield, Georgia Stanway in the box-to-box role, and they'll be up against uh, Tony Payne, which has to be the name of an amateur wrestler somewhere, but she has been very impressive this <laughs> tournament as well. So when I talk about the presence that Nigeria will have in, in that area, that's maybe the player that I'm pointing to. Very good indeed. All right, one more game to look at. It's the uh, the winner of England-Nigeria is going to play the winner of Colombia against Jamaica. Joe, who's going to be? I think it's going to be Jamaica, which I love. I'm not... Uh, totally sure both teams have game-changing attacking talent bunny shaw for for jamaica and you think about myra ramirez and and linda castedo for colombia there is real talent that could sway this game either way what i think is going to happen though is jamaica have been defensively resolute and in very insistent on not having the ball throughout this tournament so far where colombia have been a bit closer to the middle i think both teams would prefer not to have possession but I'm expecting Jamaica to sit deep in their 4-4-2 block. Yes, they'll press, they'll extend at times, but by and large, they'll be in that 4-4-2 shape against the ball, and Colombia will have to kind of putter around and try to find a way through, much like they did against Morocco. And that, for reasons we've already described, doesn't suit them particularly well. So I think Jamaica, because of their style and their commitment to it, and game changers, certainly, will have success in this game, even if it, it probably won't be the prettiest one. All right, then. Plenty of excellent games coming over the next few days. We're looking forward to the Women's World Cup action continuing. One thing left to do on this episode, gentlemen, that is very specific predictions for this round of 16. Who wants to go first? Taylor, you want to go first, pal? I got you. Uh, I'm going... Uh, with one that could be horrifically wrong if Bunny Shaw isn't fully fit or able to play in this game. It looked like she was carrying an injury in the last one and was pretty fatigued by the end, but I'm guessing, uh, short of having like a leg removed, she will be playing, and I'm guessing playing this entire game. So for Columbia-Jamaica, I think Bunny Shaw will put the ball in the back of the net at some point in the game. I'm being very cagey there because... That could also be her taking and scoring a penalty in a shootout. Uh, but I think this this game could go uh, very much to a shootout. I think this could be a very physical game. And I think Benny, Bunny Shaw uh, could get a goal in open play or could get a, a penalty in the shootout. But either way, Bunny Shaw is putting the ball in the net at do, some point. Do disallowed goals count is my question. And own goals. And own goals, yeah. No, yes. Okay. <laughs> Just trying to put interesting distinction. I got pelters for Alex Pop having the correct amount of shots she actually had today, but you're going to say the you did not get most... credit for that. Is that what you said? I get I got pelters for it mm-hmm. from you, mm-hmm. and you can, you're going to put up here that Jamaica's most prolific striker is going to um, put the ball 
in the net mm-hmm. in this game. Because they've scored so many goals th- this time. Also, yours was shots. That Their <laughs> greatest chance creator and shot taker is going to have a bunch of shots was maybe not the boldest of predictions versus a team that hasn't scored and isn't expected to even make the knockout round uh, will score in the knockout round. Yeah, I think there's I some gutsiness I don't think Bonnie Shaw has scored. She hasn't scored at this tournament so far. So All right, Daddy, yeah. I'll sit down. Try this one <laughs> off for size then. My prediction is... I don't like it. <laughs> the round of 16 is going to have two or more penalty shootouts is that okay taylor does it need eight is that fine i mean we kind of already went through that there's going to be three but sure uh yeah. if you want if you want to go that route that's fine we have uh we have preceded this conversation by sort of spoiling this but yes that that is my feeling in this one the last two world cups there was only one shootout in the entire bracket for each tournament in 2019 it was norway australia in the round of 16 in 2011 it was germany france in the quarterfinals there actually have been more draws than usual in this tournament than the last two World Cups. The talent gap is closing, as we know. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there's been six goalless draws in the group stages, nine draws in total out of those 48 games in the in the group stages so far, which to me suggests, you know, talent gap closing, maybe some more draws on the horizon. Only three group stage draws in 2019 only uh, and seven in 2011. So uh, for the reasons outlined for those games we noted earlier, I'm seeing at least two games going to penalty shootouts in the round of 16 alone. Is that okay, Dad? <laughs> Just remember, part of the specific prediction thing is meant to be that negotiation. It's meant to be 65% possession. <laughs> I feel like they're going to get 70. It, it's, a, it's a thing. You got to go right, roll with good. it. All right, excellent stuff. I mean, I think you could go three if you were like not a coward, but it's fine. You could be a coward. It's okay. Oh, Joe, what do you got? <laughs> I, I don't want this to ever end is what, is what I want. <laughs> I'm really, really enjoying this, but I suppose I'll move us forward. Uh, I have that South Africa will allow at least 18 shots against the Netherlands. So far, they have allowed 18 shots as the high in their tournament so far. That was against Italy in their most recent game. They allowed 13 against Argentina and 15 against Sweden. I think the Dutch are going to put them under pressure early and often. I do think, though, it could be difficult in moments for the Netherlands to find a way through because South Africa, if they're smart, will defend fairly deep and as compactly as they can. But I think the Dutch are going to have a lot of the ball. I think that's going to lead to a lot of shots. And hopefully, for my sake, in the Golden Chewy rankings, it'll be at least 18. Joe, I just want to be clear. This is a Dutch, this is a Dutch team that had 42 shots against Vietnam, correct? Yeah, I think the difference between Vietnam <laughs> and South Africa is pretty darn large. So All right. All right. I mean, I'll get I'll give it to you. But I that 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 uh I feel like that is a a pretty likely to happen prediction is my feeling. That's why I picked it Taylor trying to win. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so now he's out in front. Joe is trying to Yeah, there we go. Well played, Joseph. Well played. Graham, your prediction, please. Okay, so I'm looking at the Japan Norway uh, game on Saturday. My VS my VSP is kind of two prongs. It needs two things to happen. Um, Japan will cover more ground than Norway. Norway, that's one thing, and they will hit 120 kilometers covered in the match. So they've only hit that once in this tournament so far. That was in the first game against Zambia. Their lowest distance covered number was against Spain. And I think that was due to the nature of Spain's possession play. I reckon Norway will have a decent amount of the ball, but they are quicker to hit Grim Hansen and play crosses. So it's more of a kind of long distance possession game from them, which I see some similarities to in terms of how Zambia 
play. So, as I say, they'll have more distance covered and they will hit 120 kilometers covered in the match. That feels like a lot. Is that kind of on par or higher than par? No, Japan are covering a lot of ground in general when you apply context of other teams. But I'm using the yardstick of what they've done at this tournament so far. I think they've had 111, 130, or was 111 against Spain, 113, and then there was 122, which was their high water mark. So I'm saying 120 for this game. Very nice indeed. By the way, Joe. When you when you said to Taylor then, yeah, that's why I picked it when he challenged you. That's what I should have done yesterday. But hey, yeah. lessons learned. Lessons yeah. learned. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've just been trying to learn learn from you, Ryan, and just trail kind of behind your dust here. So. I think the way all of you are are willing to find games that have already happened and then pick the middle number of those games that have I happened. I picked the highest so number, bold. dude. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I believe 42 is higher than 17. All right. VSPs are starting to get wild <laughs> as we get this far into the tournament. I'm saying the same thing to Graham as well. Graham being like, I mean, they've already done it once, but like, they'll probably do it again. Bold, Graham. Yeah, hold Bold. on, hold on, hold on. Zambia, against, I'm, I'm Norway are like number three in the world or something. Like, is it, again, right, Joe, I'm on your side with this one. These, these, these predictions just have to be very specific, okay? All right, everybody. It's all good. These are numbers we're giving out here. Everyone's having a lovely time. I'm filing my harassment suit. Everything's <laughs> going to be fine. All right. In the meantime, we have World Cup Daily. Thank you very much for listening for sticking with us. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your contributions indeed, sir. Thank you, my friend. I await your lawsuit to put it right in the bin. <laughs> Graham <laughs> Ruthven, thank you very much. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always, sir. Right back at you, Ryan. Listener, once again, thank you for joining us. We appreciate your support. We'll be back tomorrow with more World Cup Daily. No, we won't. We'll be back on Saturday with more World (gasps) Cup Daily. First break day, Graham. Wow, it's happened. Wow. I cannot wait to stay up until three in the morning to watch tennis, which is exactly what is happening. I thought you were going to do some, sleeping. some ch- uh, community shield previewing, Graham, for a, for a day. No. Oh, that's not happening. That game isn't happening. I'm, I'm ignoring that one. All right. Maybe we will too. Listener, thank you very much for joining us. But for now, bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.